called disciples of the Lord. And because of that, we ought to do what he asked us to do, right? That's, that's the thing. So I want to read a text where he tells you and me something that we ought to do. And uh, we've been working on it in the class this morning. And uh, we'll talk more about it uh, here when he tells something to us in Matthew 9, <clears throat> verses 10 through 13. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, the sinner and not the righteous to repentance. Go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You know, unfortunately the word mercy in our day and time means that I'm going to extend to you, uh, I'm going to keep you from receiving the punishment that you deserve. And so when God says, I will have mercy, if we use that definition, I will have mercy, and that means we've got to forgive God even though he doesn't deserve it. That must not be what he's talking about when he says, I will have mercy. This is something that God wants from you and me. I think the King James uh, translation and our use of the language today Uh, brings about that misunderstanding because uh, the word mercy there really means acting at will, acting at will. And the text comes that Jesus is quoting here is from Hosea, the book of Hosea, chapter 6 and verse 6, where Hosea says that God, he's speaking for God, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You know, what we think about religion is I got to give up this, I got to give up that, I got to make this sacrifice, I got to do these things, I got to follow this ritual, this is what I ought to be, and we wreck that all out. He says, it's, it's, it's not that. It's not that. It's acting at will. It's something different. And Jesus taught us that, and the Spirit taught us that through the life of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, in chapter, in all of the book of Hosea. Uh, some people call this the betrayed husband. It's the tragedy of the parsonage. If it's true that all the world loves a lover, you're going to love Hosea. You're going to love Hosea because he is that. But he had an unfaithful wife. Her name was Gomer. She was one who could have been the happiest woman in all of Samaria, but she threw it all away to fling herself into a pigsty. Gomer. And so Jesus says, now you go and learn what this means. There's nothing better to learn it than the story that's in the life of Hosea. And that's what Jesus and the Spirit did with Hosea in his life. Let's turn and look there in the book of Hosea. The time is about 750 B.C. in the northern kingdom of Israel at the capital of Samaria, and the man on the throne is Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II. Now he's a strong king. He's a strong leader. 
In 2 Kings 14, in verse 25, it says, Jeroboam restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath even unto the great sea. Now that says a lot, because what that says is that here's a time in Israel when the armies of Israel are on the move, they're marching, and they're conquering, and they're taking back land that had been lost since the time of David and Solomon. That they had gone all the way to Mesopotamia and to uh, the Euphrates River, and they had lost it. He restored it. He brought it back. Now what that does is when armies march, and when governments are moving and powerful, you got money. There's money flowing. And so it's a prosperous time. It's a very prosperous time for them. And when you consider that, for every one person in a prosperous time that can stand, there are a hundred in times of adversity. It's just hard to be faithful when everything is looking so good and you can enjoy all the things of this life and possessions and things. And Jesus said in, in Luke 17 that a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. But you see, when times are good, we all are getting those things and we enjoy that. And so that was it. And during this time, Hosea, this young prophet, he hears the rumblings of those chariots in Assyria and he knows they're coming and he knows that the rumblings that he hears are the falling of a nation, that his country is going to fall and their only hope is if they repent. Ten years prior to him, there was another prophet that spoke to Israel. His name was Amos, and he was an entirely different kind of speaker. He's one of those old-fashioned hell and brimstone preachers, hellfire and brimstone. That's the way he preached. You know, for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away the judgment of Judah. Everybody in Israel said, yeah, yeah, who's Judah, brother? They need to hear that. They need to hear that. And then he says, for three transgressions and for four, I will not turn away the judgment of Israel. For you have sold the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. You see, the thing was that they were very greedy. In all of this prosperity, they wanted things. And they were willing to take it from the poor in order to do it. Even the spiritual leaders were that away. As troops of robbers wait for a man. So the company of priests murder in the way. When spiritual leaders turn to take political power, there's trouble. It always makes trouble. Because spiritual is not about taking control in this world. It's about living in a relationship with God. That was what was happening in Israel. And during this time... <clears throat> Hosea would go to these social gatherings, any opportunity that he could to speak to them and to tell them, here, you've got to repent, you've got to change your way of living, you've got to think about God. And in this crowd, there was a young girl. And she was attracted to him. There was a man that, you know, was so enthusiastic about God, and, you know, he just, he just uh, was attracted to her and she to him. And so he swept her off her feet, as it were. And this young genius who had the heart of a hero, the passion of a poet, the zeal of a saint, he just 
took her and he loved her and she loved him. So they consented and they were married. But you know, his job of preaching was to come, let us return unto the Lord, for he will heal. And he has smitten and he will bind us up. He asked them to return to God to keep mercy and judgment, chapter 12 and verse 6. The problem was that Gomer did not share the passion of her husband. She did not share all of this. Uh, it was just too religious for her, just too much religion. You know, she missed the party circuit. She missed the good times. And so she doesn't travel with him. She returned to her party life. And you know, she'd go there and she'd look kind of sad. And when you look like that, why, well, there's always someone that'll take advantage of a young pretty girl. And so, you know, well, you can cry on my shoulder. Yeah, he said. You can look to, look to me. I'll listen to you. And so she cries her martyrdom. And there's no greater burden than a martyr who feels their martyrdom. And that just simply made the burden of preaching that Hosea had to do even greater and greater. So time goes on. The marriage is strained. And then something happens. A great event. She has a baby boy. And Hosea names him Jezreel. Hasten to the spoil. Maybe, maybe, maybe the boy will lay one hand on her heart and one hand on my heart and together we'll be a family tight and close again. But she returns to her way of life. She continues the party circuit. She keeps going back to that. A few tempestuous years go by and two other children are born soon. Each time a child is born... Hosea names the child. And the second child is a girl, and he names her Loruhamah, which means unpitied, unloved. Here's a marriage that love has gone out of, at least on the part of one. And that's what the name signifies, you see. And she continues her wayward life, and clean-minded though he was, there was a growing suspicion about her philandering and her time out that it was philandering. And so, there's a third child born. And when this child is born, Hosea names it this boy, lo me, no kin of mine. What was a gnawing suspicion is now becoming a damning certainty. This child is not mine. I didn't father this child came from somewhere else. He tries. She makes no change. Then comes the final blow. He comes home from one of these trips away. Maybe, maybe he spent too much time like that for this young wife. Whatever it was, she was gone. When he comes into the door, Gomer, Gomer, he wants to tell her something. He wants to share something with her. No voice. Just the kids playing in the yard. Gomer. And then he finds a tablet on the dresser there. And she says, I'm gone. Don't follow me. And don't look for me. I'm not coming back. And so that night, 
He puts the children to bed. He hears their childish prayers. They go to sleep. And he begins a long night of bitterness and tears. And there are many nights like that. Years go by. She's gone, and he's alone. Now, what did God teach Hosea with this? I think the first thing he taught him was the true nature of sin and goodness. Both sin and righteousness. Both unfaithfulness to God and faithfulness to God. He saw the true nature of it. Where's the source of it? Gomer left. She left because of her inward disloyalty. He began to understand that. He began to understand what you got to see when you read the book of Hosea. First time I heard this sermon, I said to myself, I never saw all that in there. <laughs> I didn't know that's what those names meant about those children. I didn't know he spent time alone without the family and that she was gone. What did that mean in chapter 3 and verse 1? He says, go and love a woman of the whoredoms. I didn't understand all that. Whatever is said of God applied to Hosea. Whatever is said of Hosea applied to God. Whatever is said of Gomer applied to Israel. And whatever is said about Israel applied to Gomer. And you get the picture that we have just presented here. And you see what God is talking about when he asked to teach to Hosea this first thing. The true nature of sinfulness and of goodness. Why was it that she left? Why did she leave? Why did she prove unfaithful? The heart of the matter is she simply no longer cared for Hosea. She did not care for him. <clears throat> no longer confident that her husband could bring her any happiness. You know, in Luke, the 15th chapter, the best story there of the lost coin, the lost boy, and the lost sheep is the lost boy, isn't it? That's the one we remember, the prodigal son. Why was it? that the prodigal son left. You know, I know he spent days with his father thinking about the far country and his heart was there, but why did he leave his father? Did he leave to wreck his own life? Did he leave because he wanted to grieve his father? No. He left because he no longer was satisfied in his father's house. That was not where he cared to be that was not what he loved, and that was not who he loved. And that's the nature of sin. When we sin, the point is, we no longer care about God. We don't care about what he wants to do, and what he wants from us. So he was a self-pleaser. We talked about that this morning. We like to please ourselves. But not true religion. You know, he said, he said that he taught him the nature of sin and the nature of goodness. What is it that's really good? You know, that's where the meaning of the word, acting at will, I will have mercy, I will have you acting at will. What was it that God wanted? 
What was it that Hosea wanted from Gomer? Did he want her to be a better cook? Did he want her to be a, do a better job at, at keeping the house? Did he just bring her in there to keep the house? That wasn't what he wanted, was it? You think about the time, if you're married, when you first met your wife, oh, just couldn't wait to see her again. Going to be with her again. <laughs> Wanted to be with her, to have her, to hold her. I got to tell you, when I first met my wife, it was a very selfish love. I wanted her for me <laughs> desperately. But more than that, it grows, you see. She means everything. And that's what God says. I want you to act at will to love me. Not because it's duty, not because it's required, not because it's the right thing to do, simply because you love me. That's what Hosea wanted from her. It's not a matter of sacrifices, is it? And the second thing he discovered about it, and that he taught that God taught Hosea, is that God is a suffering God. Now, you and I understand that because we have seen the cross and we know the meaning of it. And, and we've seen the Father that He turns His back on the Son and the Son cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that. But in, in Hosea's day, a God was not like that. He was powerful and He gave out retribution whenever He wanted to. Capricious about His actions. That was the nature of God's. And so for Hosea to telescope so deeply into the heart of God to find out that he's the suffering God. <clears throat> As Hosea suffered, he began to think about suffering. You know, in the scheme of life and things, uh, as you go up the ladder of life, from the very simple creature to the highest creature, the capacity for pain increases, doesn't it? Let's take the crab. A few years ago, we went crabbing. I don't know why we did, but we did that. You know, you wear tennis shoes, and crabs will come and grab at your foot. That's why you wear the tennis shoe, because you won't grab your bare foot, and you're wading through the river or creek there. And so you throw a net down on him, and you catch it. And we were coming out of there with a bucket of them, and everybody said, here, you want mine? You want mine? Take mine. They're throwing all these crabs on us. We got home, we're going to cook them now. We've got to do something with them. Oh, it's awful. You've got to, do, do you kill them? No, no, just throw them in the pot. Just punish them. Just let them just die. And so we get all squeamish about that, and pretty soon the, the, the crabs are coming out of the pot, and they're coming all over the floor, and we finally took them all out and buried them. <laughs> they tell me this about a crab. One crab can eat a second crab, while a third crab eats the first crab, and they all enjoy it. Their capacity for pain is pretty low, and emotion. But now, along the riverbanks in West Tennessee, the little birds will sometimes build a nest right at the edge of the bank. In the spring, here's this little bird in the nest and he's waiting for mama to come back but it's rained 
and rained horrendously. And the river's up, and the water's rising, and it's about to catch the thing. And the mother bird can't get the kids away, can't get the little birds away, and she, she hovers and she cries and she watches the birds swept away. See, she felt a little bit more. And then you think about us when we lose loved ones, when a mother loses a son. The pain and the suffering that we have is so much greater. And Hosea said, if, if, I, if I suffer at the loss of Gomer, what must God be going through who is greater than me on an infinite scale? What he must be feeling at the loss of Israel. And he says it, you know, in chapter 9 and verse 7, I believe that's not 9 and verse 7, but uh, he says uh, uh, in the other place that, Oh, Ephraim, how shall I give you up? He said, I'm going to destroy Israel. And then he says, I don't want to. He said, you have aroused my heart, and I don't want to destroy. I am God and not man. I'm not going to destroy you fully. But there'll be no more kingdom of Israel. There'll be no more ten tribes. You'll be gone. You'll just be people. And so he discovered how God can suffer. And the third thing he discovered was the most amazing. The mercy and forgiveness of God. His love for us. Chapter 11, verse 4 and verse 8. I drew them with the cords of a man, with the bonds of love. How shall I give up Ephraim? My heart is changed within me. My compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger. I am not man. I am God. One day Hosea is in the marketplace and, you know, sometimes people talk. And they talk to one another, and they don't want you to hear, but they do want you to hear. And so he hears the name Gomer. He knows they're talking about his wife. But the great thing about it is they tell him something that he didn't know, that Gomer is about to be sold on the slave block, and she'll be put up for sale in a week. Hosea hurries home. He gathers all the money that he has. He takes certain possessions and he goes and he, he tries to sell that and he gets more money. And he knows that the average cost of a slave girl is a certain amount and so he gets ten times that. And he gathers it all together. And when the day comes for the sale of the, of the, of the slaves, they throw Gomer on the block. Now she's not a mirror of what she was. She's a disheveled, emaciated person. No longer the bloom of youth. Who would want her? Who will have this girl? Who will give me anything for her? And in the back of the crowd, Hosea raises his hand and he says, I'll give you ten times what she's worth. They're amazed. Chapter 9, verse 7 says, A prophet is a fool. He's an insane man. You mean he's going to give her back? He's going to take her back. He's not only going to take her back, he's going to give more than enough. Nobody will give this price but Hosea. And so he buys her back off the slave block. Does it remind you of anything? 
You and I have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20. We've been bought off that slave block. We're Gomer. And God has bought us and paid for it with a price that is so great, nobody else can give it. It's ours. It's our salvation. It's our hope. That's what he did for us. That's what he did. That's what that means. But you know, what it says here, I will have mercy. What is it that God wants when he buys you and me back off the slave block of sin? He wants you to love him. He wants us to love him. All that business about relationships, at the heart of it, is where is your heart? There's one of the songs in the book, 672, written by Eliza Hewitt. She was a valedictorian of her class, became a teacher, got into a escapade with a student who threw a slate and hit her in the back and caused great years of pain and suffering with a back injury. And she wrote songs, Sunshine in My Soul Today. She also wrote this one, Give me thy heart, says the Father above. No gift so precious to me as your love. Softly he whispers, wherever you are, gratefully trust me and give me your heart. Go and learn what this means, Jesus said. I will have mercy. I will have you acting out of love. Unfailing love is the meaning of the word. Can we give it to him? If you're here today and want to do that and have not done it, need to recommit and come back, he's opened his arms. He stands always ready. He's amazing with his forgiveness and love. Won't you come while we sing?